All right, so uh, I have some numbers to share with you this morning. Just going to throw these out. And the first number is the number four with a little plus sign next to it. So four plus, and that stands for four plus acres of land. My second number is the number 60, and that is the number of days that we are in escrow to purchase said four acres of land. Now, my next number is a very small number, but it's really a big number because it's the loneliest number, and it's the number one, uh, and that is $1 million. That's what this four-plus acres cost us uh, to buy. Now, this four-plus acres is actually right outside these doors, and it's an entire field that's over there and half of that Shumash parking lot. Uh, so we're, we're purchasing this whole section uh, that, that's out there. Uh, and I got another number for you, and this is a big number. It's all a small number, but it's a big number. It's 3.5, and that's $3.5 million, which is probably what it's going to cost us to build a building out there because it's a million for the land, and then we're going to have about a million dollars in city fees. Uh, apparently, just to put like a four-inch water line. I know, the city needs their money. <laughs> I know. I had the same reaction. <laughs> we're in the same boat, people. Uh, to put like a four-inch water line out there, it's, it's like $250,000. It's, it's a lot of money. It's, hey, we're support our community. <laughs> anyway, along with that, though, I'll give you another number. This number is number two. Uh, with doing this, uh, we have a two-year lease on this building where we're at right now. So we don't have to move for two years. And if anybody buys this section of property where all these buildings are, then that goes with it. And so we're actually able to stay here for two more years. Yay! We didn't waste all that money in the lounge. Yay! <laughs> all that effort. Now, uh, if you, I'm sure you got a lot of questions. If you're a member or not a member or been coming here a while, I'm sure you've got a lot of questions about that. So, after this service, right outside the store, there's two guys that are going to be out there. The first one is John Warren. Is he? Really? Really? John Warren is, is the chairman of our church board, and he decided not to walk into this service. If he's watching on video back there, curses you, John Warren. Uh, the second, this is David Long. He headed up our building search team. And so he'll be out there with John, and you can walk out there through that gate with them, ask them whatever questions you want to ask, and they'll be more than happy to answer them. Yay! Man, you guys are the least excited service out of all the services. <laughs> Is that all it takes? Is that all it takes? <laughs> You're just like, now he's going to ask us for money. Whatever, okay. <laughs> Welcome to Element. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. Uh, there are sermon notes or question booklets on all the communion tables throughout the room. You can grab one of those. If you had a smartphone, you can download an app. It is called Version. In there, you'll get the, the verses and the questions that go along with this morning's message. So why don't you stand with me for reading to God's Word. This is Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand the goodness of who you are, that we would trust you, and that our lives are not about our own safety, but they are about glorifying and honoring you. And so today, reinforce that in us as we focus upon who you are as the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen. Have a seat. 
All right, so this is week three of our series on Jesus. I know every series we do is about Jesus, but this whole idea of the context of this series is about how Jesus was larger and greater than we really ever imagined. It's about what he inspires in us because of his person and his work. And so we saw kind of the first week how the course of this world's history has been changed because of Jesus and who he was and what he did and the greatness of his life. And that still continues today because he rose from the grave. He is not dead. He is risen. And that we tend to be a people who are often so self-absorbed in our own little worlds that we think Jesus is just part of our own little world and our own little life and our own little church. And we don't stand back and recognize the scope and the awe-inspiring enormity of what he did and his impact on the world. And so we talked about how everything really that we know today has been shaped by Jesus and the life of the church that he brought. Uh, last week, Jonathan talked about Jesus' servant leadership. A couple people that I talked to said, well, I'm not really a leader. You know, somebody somewhere is looking at you. And that means you are a leader somewhere, and the way to lead is the way Jesus led as a servant leader. And today, as we talk about the Jesus series, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to talk about something Jesus' church has taught and preached that Jesus never himself taught. This could kind of go back to the whole Stupid Summer series, but it works uh, better here, because what Jesus does is inspiring in us, and what we're going to talk about today kills that inspiration, and that is the idea of safety, that Jesus just came to keep us safe. I mean, I told you we bought this property out here. You know, it's a million bucks, four plus acres. That, that's a lot of fear and a lot of worry. You have some guys on this church board who are very godly guys. They prayed about it. They talked about it. But seriously, if you're a fly on the wall or which, yeah, you can actually come here. Remember, you can come to any board meeting, by the way, and hang out and listen to some of this stuff. Uh, the emails that have gone back and forth, how we prayed about it, how we talked to each other, there, there's some fear and some scaredness and some trepidation in that. And so what I did in the middle of us talking about this with the board is I actually sent them this thing in, a, in an email. So I'm going to kind of start my message by quoting to you from me. <laughs> it's really kind of funny, but okay. <laughs> Better be good. This is, so this is what I wrote. I said, our God called Noah to build a boat while everyone mocked. He called Abraham to leave everything he knew of family and friends. He stripped everything away from Joseph and had him sold into slavery. He allowed Moses to wander aimlessly for 40 years before sending him to the people of Israel. Then another 40 years in the wilderness. Before David became king over Israel, he was stripped of everything he held most dear. Uh, Job lost everything and still said in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Peter, Paul, Matthew, John, James, Timothy, Thomas, even Jesus never had it safe, but they followed a father who was and is always worth following. Now, that, that's for me, that's, that's like a Holy Spirit thing, so I'm never that articulate with them, but i just like, hey, thank you, God, that was great. And it kind of got me thinking about this. And so we're going to talk about safety, which I think is one of the main reasons we don't experience the presence of God more or the power of Jesus more in our lives, maybe sometimes why he doesn't seem very real to us. I once heard Scott Dudley tell this story about uh, Gary Hagen, who's the founder of International Justice Mission. And he used this metaphor for the church and how we can miss the presence of Jesus. Uh, Gary Hagen and his family, they're going out to Mount Rainier to go on a hike. And as they start to go on this hike, there's a sign at the beginning of the hike, and it tells you all the terrible stuff that can happen to you on Mount Rainier. And it's like, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, uh, you fall off a cliff, rocks might come at you, all kinds of crazy stuff. And so he said he got a little bit scared. But instead of telling the rest of his family, hey, I'm a little bit scared of this, he said, this is the most boring thing in the world. I just want to go hang out in the visitor center. And so he went back and hung out in the visitor center. And at first he thought he made the right choice because it's dry and it rains a lot in Washington and it was warm inside of there. He had all these exhibits to look at. But if you've ever been in a visitor center, it doesn't take long before the air starts to taste a little stale and things just get a little bit old. And when his brother and his dad and his family comes back, they're talking about this wonderful hike that they went on and all the adventure that 
that they had. And he said he missed out on a really great day because he was too scared. He didn't get to experience that adventure. And that is a great metaphor for the church in the United States. We have too often become a visitor center. That's how we view Christianity. It's supposed to be safe and warm and comfortable, but we're missing the power of Jesus. We're missing the presence of Jesus and the excitement of following Jesus because we're always trying to play it safe. You know, we have had people leave some of our gospel communities because we always want our gospel communities to be open. You should always be inviting people in. And people have said, well, we don't like that. We just want our little, our little group to get together, and that's who we just want to be there. And, but that's not what we ever intended gospel communities to be. We've had people leave Element because they say you have too much of a focus on trying to reach the lost. And if some, yeah, and, and, you know, and seriously, if, if that's a reason that you don't like Element, I'm not going to chase you down. It, it's... it's there's the door, really, because we, we are about reaching the lost, lifting up Jesus. That's, that's who we are. And so the question I think that we need to ask ourselves is this. Where in your life might you be playing it safe because you're not trusting God? And don't say I'm not because we all try and play it safe somewhere in our lives. Uh, I, I know guys who will go out and they'll bungee jump and cliff dive, but they're single because they're too afraid to ask a girl out on a date. It's like, I will jump off this cliff, but I'm not talking to her. I, it's... <laughs> It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. You know, where are we playing it's safe? It could be relationally. Maybe you're not opening up to some people that you should be opening up to. You should be talking to. You're not telling them where you're aching or maybe where you're joyful. And so you're starting to feel disconnected in that. Maybe that's even affecting your marriage. You know, maybe you're playing it safe in your career or your faith. Maybe Jesus is coming along and he's nudging you to say some things or do some things that you know he wants you to do, but you're too afraid to do it. You're too scared to step out to where he's calling you to be. Maybe you're playing it safe financially. You're not giving to see the kingdom of God go forward because you're too afraid you're going to lose your stuff. Where are you playing it safe? When I first became a Christian, there was a saying that a lot of people used to use. They said, the safest place to be is the center of God's will. Sounds really nice, but it's a load of hooey. That's, that's all it is. You look at the scriptures. The prophets were beaten. They were thrown in jail. When that didn't happen to them, God was always asking them to do some really crazy and scary stuff. In Ezekiel 3.1, says, He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. So God says, Go eat whatever you find here. You know what he found there? What God told him to eat? A scroll. Here's some papyrus, some animal skins. Eat that. It's good for you. It's like American fast food. Just eat it. And crazy. In Revelation 10.1, he has the Apostle John do the exact same thing. In Isaiah chapter 20, God has Isaiah preach naked and out of control in order to show what would befall Egypt and Assyria. That will never happen here. I know. You learned way too much about me anyway. You're welcome. None of that is safe at all. The book of Hebrews says many of those heroes of the faith, they were tortured, some faced jeers, flogging, they were uh, put in chains, they were thrown into prison, they were put to death by stoning, they were sawn in two, they were killed by the sword. It's kind of like that. there's this old saying that, you know, other than your husband being killed, Miss Lincoln, how was the play? I mean, that, that's kind of the whole idea. Our lives following Jesus should be, many times, a crazy ride where we're like, you're hanging on to me and that's good because I'm out of control. This is crazy. Is following Jesus safe? Are you kidding me? I think it's the most exciting place to be. I think it's the most meaningful place to be, the most rewarding place to be for sure. But it is absolutely not safe because the God who came to us in Jesus is not a safe God. Now, yes, there are times when he does protect us. Absolutely, he does that. But the idea that God's job and the idea of being a Christian is that God's going to keep you financially safe or emotionally safe or physically safe has way more to do with American culture than it has to do with Jesus who came to do a rescue mission on this planet for his people. 
The American trinity today is not Father, Son, and Spirit. It is comfort and pleasure and success, and our big idol is safety. Guys, we are the most seat-belted, airbagged, bike-helmeted, knee-pad-wearing, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, protected, inoculated generation in history, and all it has served to do is make us afraid of everything. We are afraid of everything. It's like this is why people hold on so strongly to their stuff. Because it's like, oh man, I can't, I can't let go of the, these things. This is my stuff. I gotta hang on to it. You know, I can't give it to God. God's the one who gave it to you in the first place. Why in the world can you not trust Him with it? Now, as a kid, we used to ride our bikes down the street and we start making our own jumps because we're boys and we get bored. Uh, this is the first kind of jump that we would make. We'd call this the normal jump. Okay, kind of look like. Most of you have probably gone off it. You can, you can survive this one. It's not really a big deal. It's got a good angle. You land a few feet away. You walk away. Okay. But eventually, boys get bored, and they get a little bigger, right? So th- this is the next one. I call this the suicide jump, right? You, you, go, you go almost like straight up in the air. You come straight down. You get a scar as you run your leg across your pedal because we have the pedals that are all, right? And they right, right up your leg, that thing. But eventually, you get bored, and so we would go to the evil Knievel jump. Because wh- seriously... Evil Knievel never landed a jump as far as I know. Every time you look, it's like, oh, boom, that was Evil Knievel. Let's build a jump in his name, right? So we build Evil and usually it's not scraps of two-by-fours. We didn't have, so, so it's like rocks and dead animals. Wherever you find, you just kind of make, make this jump. Now, no engineer would say, hey, this is a safe jump to go off of. You know, this Evil Knievel jump, you go off it, and a lot of times you just hit it. And the thing would just collapse, you know, because you just, you can't go up a wall, apparently. So you'd hit it, and you're pulling splinters out of your skin, you know. But when I was a kid, we didn't have knee pads and helmets and Kevlar and gloves, lights on our bikes and, you know, guards on our spokes. For that matter, half the time, brakes at all on our bikes. And yet we survived and had a great time doing it. We, my generation probably has more scars than the one coming up now, but we also had the freedom to try new things. One of the reasons that Jesus saves us and redeems us is to put us, set us free so that we are people who are free to live and walk the life he calls us to. And many times, that can be really scary. I mean, I mean, obviously, I am not talking about just taking risks for risk's sake. I mean, that's what I'm talking about at all. But I think our safety idol is wrecking our faith. You know, 80% of college graduates today are planning to move back home after graduation. Not because they can't find jobs, but because it's safe. There are now a lot of studies coming out today that have looked at how these kids have been raised with knee pads and helmets and safety zones and all these things. And kids today are not experiencing any pain. And so they're afraid of anything they don't understand, so they always want to stay really close to where they think the safety zone is. I mean, even today, we don't even like to tell our kids, like, say, Grandma dies. Oh, Grandma went on a vacation. Where? To a hole in the ground? That's a horrible vacation spot. Seriously. I mean, you need, kids need to understand what death is and that we don't like it and that death is our enemy because Scripture tells us that death is our enemy and that Jesus has been victorious over it. We hate death. Grandma died. It sucks. She's in a hole. But Jesus is the victor of everything. And that's what we point to and look at. We've been trying to keep kids so safe and keep them away from pain. And so what I want to do is give you, shout out, that sucks. I'm sorry. Someone opened their eyes really big. Sorry. Welcome to Element. Okay, so uh, I'm going to give you uh, three things about how safety has become a negative. The first one is this. Safety is an illusion that we have built to try to protect ourselves from God because we don't trust him, so we want to make our own lives safe. 
And we can minimize risk all that we want, but being completely safe has never really been our option. There's a recent uh, news article that came out a little bit ago about freak accidents that happened over the last 100 years. It's kind of interesting. Okay, uh, At London, at the turn of the century, there's a vat of beer that exploded, and a 25-foot wall of beer flooded out in the street, and eight people drowned in it. Crazy, right? I mean, you're thinking, well, if you got to go. It's not, not a bad way. Okay. In 1910, in Boston, a giant vat of molasses exploded. I don't know what, maybe you should get new vats because they're all exploding, but a giant vat of molasses exploded, and the molasses oozes out into the street, and it kills 21 people. 21 people. 21 very slow people. It's like, molasses, run. Now, on, on a more serious note, because apparently death isn't that serious, um, there's a, there's a study that was recently done, and it showed that the most affluent high schools in America also have the highest instances of drug use. And what they did is they kind of focused their study on this on this one high school in Washington. Uh, they, they struggled to, to meet their budgets, and things were really kind of hard for them. And so, but what happened is because it was struggling, things were hard. The students worked harder, and they were actually one of the top 50 uh, high schools in America. And so what happened after this is they showed how Microsoft and Amazon and Costco moved in, brought large sections of their company to the area. Not that, 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 that that's a bad thing, but all this money flooded into the school, and the school did a lot better, and things got a whole lot easier. And this school now, rather than being one of the top 50 schools for academic, academics in the United States, is now one of the top 10 most lucrative to sell drugs in. Uh, gangs will drive from all over the state to go to this school to sell drugs because all those kids with all that money feeling all that safe equals boredom and a lot of drug use. This means we can hide in our suburbs all we want, but no matter how much we buckle up and cover up and button up, life has its risks. And it's not just physical risks. I mean, there are financial risks. You can save all that you can, think you're doing everything right, then a financial crisis hits like it did a few years ago. The economy goes south. I read of one guy who said he was glad he gave a bunch of his money to this church. Before, not our church. None of you did that. But you know, a church before that. You know, uh, be, because of the financial crisis that hit. And this is what he said. He said, I just sort of lost it all anyway. At least now it's in the church. You know, uh, there are social risks. If you follow Jesus, he's going to ask you to do some crazy things. Like talk to somebody. Like, in, like invite someone to an agape meal. Or to your gospel community. Or sign up for a gospel community yourself. He's going to ask you to do some crazy stuff. They're also emotional. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul is facing some emotional risks. He is heavily invested in the Corinthian church, and all they do is criticize and complain. Uh, They say, we don't like your sermons. You think you're too harsh. They say he's not decisive enough. Some even say that he's not good-looking enough to be their pastor. This is why I have a face for radio. So Paul writes this letter in part to defend himself, but also because all that criticizing and complaining, it will kill a church. And so he writes about all the hardships that he's had. In 2 Corinthians 11, 25, so he was like, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten and thrown in jail. Now what I want you to do is, is read this on the screen behind me. It says, on frequent journeys in what? What did he say in what? From rivers. Then what? From robbers and from my own people. From Gentiles. In the city. In the wilderness. At sea, from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. See, do you see the word that kept getting repeated? Danger. It's not safe. And then in verse 28, this is what he says. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
And you probably don't realize, but that, that's a little bit funny. It's like he's saying, I have been in prison and tortured and shipwrecked, but worst of all is being your pastor. <laughs> I don't feel that way much. Paul feels that way because he's not just been hurt by people, but by life as well. And he wrote most of the New Testament. You know, Jesus was God in the flesh, love incarnate, and we crucified him. Do you really think the God of this universe who allowed his son to go to the cross to pay for your and my sin, do you think his main objective is your safety? No, no, safety, there is no such thing. Secondly, safety shrinks our lives. What has happened in America, because we latch on to safety so much, is we sue over the dumbest things. Oh, my coffee was too hot. Oh, my neighbor's tree grew a foot over the property line into my yard. I've even heard people complain that too many people walk down their sidewalk in front of their house. Really? I mean, you can totally see the issue, right? Hopefully you go to Element and you can't see the issue, all right? You've got a problem with that. But I understand this. Even if I'm on vacation, I can sort of get a sense of entitlement. There's no ice in my Pepsi. Oh, where is God when it hurts? You know, I, I totally get it. If you ever want to see the entitlement of America, just read a police report sometime. Open up the paper and read some of the crazy stuff. There's, there's one guy. He calls the cops because there was a car parked on his street. And, no, that's just it. That's just it right there. Another guy calls the police because he thought his dog food bowl in his backyard had been moved. What type of crazy world do we live in where we're so freaked out by the smallest things? But that is what happens when we live for safety and comfort and not Jesus. Our lives start to shrink and pretty soon we become the princess and the pea and everything starts to bug us. If we play it safe, it wrecks our lives. It shrinks our, our lives completely. So if you play it safe emotionally, you will never open up to people around you. That will affect your marriage and it will affect your friendships. If you always play it safe and you just want the conventional middle class script where you get you know, a good job and three cars and 2.5 kids, I mean, those things aren't bad, but they're not enough. You miss the adventure. You miss the bigness of Jesus. It becomes death by suburb. That's not what you want. And lastly, safety shrinks God. Safety shrinks God. Because God becomes your celestial seatbelt just to keep you safe and keep bad things from happening to you. You know, throughout the scriptures, the presence and the love of God is likened to a storm. Exodus 9, Exodus 19, Psalm 29, Ezekiel 1, Psalm 104. In 1995, John Piper and his family lived through a hurricane in Florida. And he writes this poem after it. This is what he says. God strolled on the beach. Our legs and faces could not bear the piercing, blasting sand. God stepped ashore, palms waved, scattering branches in his path. God strode inland, magnolias, pines, and oaks who'd stretched 100 years towards God fell to the ground before him. God stood and breathed while we in dark closed closet feared to face his glory. See, this is the idea when we sing this song, oh, your love's like a hurricane and I am a tree. And we're like, what does that even mean? What it means is that God's love is like a hurricane. God's presence, and we're just a tree in the middle of it. We're going, ah! And God's like, I have firmly rooted you, I have established you in my son, and you will be okay in the midst of that storm. God's love is like that. God's love has this passion that sent his son from heaven where it was very safe to earth to die for our sins and conquer our enemies of Satan, sin, and death by rising from the grave. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah and he invites us to join him on a rescue mission to this planet. And too often the criteria that we have, whether something or not is God's will, is, is it safe? Because if it's not safe, it's not comfortable, well then God really wouldn't want us to do that, would he? Yes, he would, because God believes in life after birth. That's why. 
And he wants us to live a life fully to his glory. That's what he wants. And so how do you get out of this safety idol? How do you break free? I'll give you three things. The first one is this. It's Jesus. Jesus is always the answer. Okay, so you act on Jesus' most frequent promise, which is what we started with this morning. Matthew 16, 25. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is one of the most profound things in all of the scriptures. In all of our efforts to be safe and comfortable, we're actually making ourselves miserable. That's all that we're doing. If we understand the real security that Jesus gives, it frees us up. Like, oh, security? I like the word security. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it means. Jesus conquered death. Jesus rose from the grave, which means if you are killed, we're going to be raised to new life just like he was. This is why for the first 300 years of Christianity, whenever a plague hit Rome, everyone would leave the city, including the doctors. But the Christians would rush into the city to care for the sick because they followed Jesus. And they knew even if they died, and many did, they would at least be doing something important. And if they died again, they'd be raised to new life like Jesus. You cannot stop a people like that because they're not afraid of anything. They are fearless worshipers. That's what we're called to be. I mean, even around the world today, whenever Christians are killed for their faith, you know what happens to conversions to Christianity? They go up. They go up. Because people want that kind of freedom the resurrection actually gives. There's this true story. came out a little bit ago about some airport cargo handlers. Uh, one time this plane arrives and they're unloading the section of the plane where all the pets are kept. And they found that one of the dogs was dead. They didn't know what to do. So they told the guy, hey, your dog got rerouted to Phoenix. Come back tomorrow. No lie. They go to the pound. And they go to find a dog that looks kind of like this guy's dog. They found one. They brought it back. The guy shows up and he says, uh, that's not my dog. And they go, yeah, it is. It's just got jet lag. They look like that after they've been under the plane for a while. And the guy goes, no, that's not my dog. And he goes, I know it. And they said, well, how do you know? And he says, because my dog was dead. I was flying at home to bury it. <laughs> now, this is the idea. Things don't normally come back to life, right? But Jesus did. And that inspired his people to live a completely different way. This means that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He conquered our enemies of Satan, sin, and death. We have nothing to fear, even from death, which means we can literally fling our lives away in the true security that Jesus gives us, and we can live a bigger life. I mean, personally, I think sometimes that we as Christians miss an opportunity. Back in the early 80s when AIDS first appeared. Because what if, like early Christians, we cared first and cared most for AIDS patients? You know, some did, and a lot more are doing it now. I understand that. But what if then we had cared first and we had actually cared most? I think we didn't because we're trying to be safe, we're trying to play it really safe. I mean, we didn't know physically for sure. You know, we didn't know what the disease was or where it came from or how it was being transmitted and all that, but also safe theologically. I mean, so many Christians didn't want to be seen as a primitive lifestyles that they didn't associate with. They, you know, we don't like that thing over there. Can I tell you, you can care for someone without approving 100% of their behavior. The early Christians did this. They didn't approve of Roman orgies or the gladiatorial games, but they cared for those people nonetheless. And as a result, Christianity grew 40% per decade for 300 years. That is the fastest growing movement ever in the history of this planet. What if we cared first and we cared most? I wonder if today, instead of Christians being seen as mean, nasty, hypocritical people, Jesus' people and his followers might be seen as brave, adventurous, people who have countered a culture. What if we had lost our lives? You know, would we have actually found them in that? The second thing in this is get weak so God can get stronger. Not that God gets stronger, okay? God is God, but he grows stronger uh, in our lives. Uh, hopefully, you're still in 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 12 in 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul is still kind of defending himself in this, but he does this in a really odd way. He doesn't talk about the churches he planted. He doesn't talk about his accomplishments and all that stuff. What Paul does, he talks about his weaknesses. 
In chapter 12, he talks about this thing called a thorn in the flesh. And no one knows what it is. There's a lot of speculation. It might have been an illness. It could have been a physical ailment of some sort. Uh, Some commentators believe it was the Corinthians themselves, which we wouldn't call that a thorn in the flesh. We call that a pain in the backside. But God never takes this thorn away. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, God says to him, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul goes on to say, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What he kind of says is, when you're out on a ledge, when you're out on a limb, when you feel like you just can't take it anymore, when you cannot go one more day, when Jesus is the only thing that is holding you up, that is when you see his power. That is when you understand. When you quit talking about yourself and how wonderful you are and you realize you can lay everything aside and everything rests in his hands because everything's out of your control, that's when you see the power of Jesus then. And sometimes that means we take risks, proper risks. And the more weak we get, the stronger he gets and we see his power. This is why people who are always trying to play it safe wonder why they don't experience God in their lives more because they're clinging to everything when God is saying, let go. Third thing, we must want more out of life because more out of life means we must want his life in us, living through us to all people. Do you really want your tombstone to read when you're dead, at least nothing bad happened? Is that what you wanted to say? Really? I asked my mom to find this pic, but she, but she couldn't find it because I wanted to show you this picture of my brother and I on our bicycles when we were little kids. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, she, my mom never gave me training wheels. She's like, you just need to learn how to ride that thing. I'm like, really? Thanks, mom. Don't be a sissy. I like, okay. Hey, if I had kids, no training wheels. I have been scarred, and they get it too. You know, that kind of, but anyway, so no training wheels. And, and this bike that I had, I swear that thing falls on you. It was all rusty. I'd like walk away with tetanus just from this bike falling on you. It's crazy. But today I kind of wonder if parents are robbing their kids of their sense of adventure by trying to keep them safe all the time. I mean, is that our grand ambition? I mean, do you want to really go to your kids and say, hey, my grand ambition for you is that nothing bad happens? Is that what we really want? I think this is why kids go looking for adventure in all the wrong places. Because so often parents will pray, Lord, keep them safe. Oh, God, just keep them safe. Oh, God, just keep them safe. But do we ever stop to pray, God, give them enough hurts to keep them human. God, bring enough pain into their lives that they rest all of their hopes and dreams on who you are and the person of Jesus Christ. Do we pray that? Do we let them go through the pain that they need to go through to understand who he is? Sometimes you hear preachers try to scare people into being a Christian. They say things like, if you die tonight, do you know where you're going? What a horrible question. It's a horrible question. I think Jesus asked a different question. I think, you know, if you don't die tonight, because most of you aren't going to die tonight. And if you do, I will never say this again. It would just be bad form. Like the one time I talk about Dick Clark, and the next day Dick Clark died. And I said Betty White, and she lived, so I don't get it, but... Oh, some of you are never coming back, I know. Okay, so what, what if you don't die tonight? The question is, are you going to live tomorrow? Are you going to live tomorrow? And for you, you know, what, what would that mean to stop playing it safe? Maybe it means taking some kind of emotional risk where you open up and get honest with a friend or a spouse. Maybe it's you say to your spouse, let's fix this marriage. And then you take the lumps that go along with it because you've lived years a certain way and it takes years to turn that ship. But you take the lumps and you do it because it's important. Maybe it's financial risk. Maybe you give more than you think you're safe with. Maybe you do that. I mean, we're buying a field. It's a piece of dirt. We all may end up meeting on a piece of dirt. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're trusting God in the midst of it. Maybe it's a career risk. 
You know, maybe it may not mean getting a different job, but it may mean that you become part of Jesus' rescue mission in your office or your school where you already are. Maybe it's you serve somebody in some way. Maybe you step out and sign up to go to an agave meal or actually sign up to go and attend a gospel community. But it all starts in the place of surrender to Jesus. That's where it has to start. Guys, look, we all get scared and nervous sometimes. Sometimes I'll even get scared before I preach to you. I mean, not normally, but sometimes I get a dog of a sermon. And I got three services, and I got to walk that dog in public three times. <laughs> it's ugly, but it's my dog, so I got to walk it. So I get a little nervous. But what would happen if I didn't do what God called me to do? You know, God would, one, probably find somebody else to do it, and I would forever be missing out. I mean, you might be happier if I don't give you the dog of a sermon, but whatever. This is the point. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection means he lives in and through us. So he gives us the power to beat the scared in him. I mean, how are you going to beat the scared? You'll never do it on your own. It's only through understanding the person and the work of Christ and surrendering all that you are to him. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And over fears has not been perfected in love. Now, last week, Jonathan talked to you, and he, and he kind of talked about this movie called Moneyball. So I thought I'd tie into his message a little bit. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a Moneyball clip from this movie. If you haven't seen it, it doesn't give anything away, all right? But this clip is really interesting in what we're talking about. So I want to show this to you. Come on. Seriously. Come on, Billy. Come on. The Visalia Oaks and our 240-pound catcher, Jeremy Brown, who, as you know, Scared to run the second base. This was in the game six weeks ago. This guy's going to start him off with a fastball. Jeremy's going to take him to deep center. Here's what's really interesting. Because Jeremy's going to do what he never does. He's going to go for it. He's going to round first, and he's going to go for it. Okay? This is... All of Jeremy's nightmares coming to life. Oh, they're laughing at him. And Jeremy's about to find out why. Jeremy's about to realize that the ball went 60 feet over the fence. He's hit a home run and didn't even realize it. It's a metaphor, right? Jesus rises from the dead. That's not a metaphor. He literally rose from the dead. But in the metaphor of this, Jesus hit this home run. And we are a people who are constantly clinging to the base. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, I hit it over the fence. You have nothing to be afraid of. Death can't even stop you. You have nothing to lose. So we've got to stop clinging to the base in fear. We've got to stop just trying to play it safe. We beat the scared inside of us because Jesus conquered everything. And we live a life of larger freedom and larger joy. That's what Jesus brings. That's what Jesus taught. That is what is inspiring. 
about Jesus. I think it was Becky Pippert who once said, the point uh, in life is not to arrive at death in a safely preserved body, but to skid in broadside, completely spent, thoroughly used up, shouting, thank you, Jesus, what a ride. (laughs) See, Jesus did not say, I have come that you may have safety and have it abundantly. That is not what he said in the scriptures. He came to give us a big, bold, messy life where you see the power of God unleashed. We walk in his authority because he lives in and through us. We live in his victory. We shine with his light and his joy. We don't stay in the visitor center where it's safe. We beat the scared. We live large. You skid in broadside shouting, thank you, Jesus. What a ride all the way home. In 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. This means that we are a people who are supposed to live in him, in all things, because Jesus is the victor of all things. He has conquered everything, and we don't need to fear. This is why we bring you to communion every single week. It's not just like a nice little thing we do at the end of the message. It's, it has a purpose and a point. That's why you break that cracker. It represents Christ's body, which was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice because it reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I because he hit it out of the park. We don't need to cling to the basin fear. We can actually do what he calls us to do because he won the victory in all things. We need to start trusting him and round the bases like he said. The band's going to come up, and as they do, uh, we invite you guys to take communion. Uh, and there'll be some uh, deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer uh, for anything, they would love to pray with you. I mean, maybe, you're, maybe you feel like you live a lot of your life just clinging to that base. And you, and you can't let go and you're really afraid that God's going to strip everything away from you. If you ever step out like he calls you to step out. Maybe you just need to pray with them about that. Maybe you've got some other stuff going on in your life. And, and it causes you to cling to the base in fear. You know, let go of that and start trusting him. I mean, God doesn't promise that your life is going to be safe. But he promises that you have security in who he is and what he has done and what he continues to do. Our God is good. There are offering boxes on the side and on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of that worship. And so you have that opportunity every single week because it's part of trusting him. There's some food and stuff in the back. And again, we do this so you guys can get to know each other. Sometimes stepping into a relationship with somebody else and developing friendships is scary. It's not, it's not secure. It's not safe. But God calls us to do it anyway because in those relationships, we grow. We then help each other to beat the scared by turning each other's focus back to who Jesus is. We trust him in all things because he is the only one who has won the victory. He is the only one who can keep us secure. But in that security, he does not keep us safe. And I think that is a really, really amazing thing that our God intends for you and I to grow, to not remain the same, and become the people he intends for us to be. And so let's trust him with our lives because Jesus is everything. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who trust you. Father, so often we we get into places where we want to hold on to the things that we think we've acquired for ourselves whether it's our relationships or whether it's our things or whether it's our job, whatever it is, we hang on to it so tightly, not trusting to offer that up to you. And so today, I ask that you would refocus our hearts and our minds and our lives and that we would lift those things up to you and trust them in your capable hands.
Father, so often in our Christian lives we say, well, there must be more than this. And there is so much more than the this that we commonly experience. It is placing ourselves in your all-too-capable hands that loves like a hurricane. And yet you firmly root us as your trees in the midst of that hurricane. And you bring so much wonder and so much amazement that I ask that we would be able to open our eyes and simply begin to see it and trust you for all the goodness you continue to promise to bring. That goodness not always being safety, but that goodness being the promise of your son and new life in him. Today, have us walk out of these walls as people firmly trusting in the hope of the world, which is you. Thank you for saving us. Have us be a people who love and trust you in all things. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.